We have mentioned that we are in the season of Lent, and last Sunday, in the midst of the snow that came at just the wrong time, uh, we launched the sermon series about the pathway of forgiveness, the path of forgiveness uh, that we all have to walk. There are flyers that have been mailed to your home, and hopefully you uh, have them, and there are extras in the narthex that you can take and share with others and invite them to be a part of worship, to be a part of church, and we encourage you during the sermon series to not only wrestle with your own issues of experiencing God's forgiveness and other people's forgiveness and and extending forgiveness to others, but maybe uh, use this as an opportunity to invite some others to enter into this this experience, this Lenten experience of uh, learning more about forgiveness. It's a path. It's a conversation. It's not a one Sunday experience. So before I uh, launch this morning's message, I'd like to invite us to bow for some time of silence and meditation, and then I'll lead us in prayer. We thank you, mighty God, for answers to prayer and for blessings and for all of those things we take for granted. We thank you for who you are and all of your beauty and holiness. And we confess to you our sins and our brokenness and our failures this morning and the darkness within our own hearts. And we ask that you cleanse cleanse us, you shine a light in our hearts, and during this season that we might be particularly drawn to you, that we might be honest in our confession and in our repentance. We ask God that you care for our world today. Uh, We read and hear about violence and shootings and wars and homelessness and broken lives and broken families. And we invite you, the Lord of the cross, to enter into our suffering. You know all about us, and we pray that somehow you might redeem that suffering and bring about good in this world and healing to bodies and to spirits and to relationships that need healing. We would pray particularly today for your watch care over all of our military personnel, the men and women who defend our freedoms. We ask your blessings upon them and their families. And we ask you, God, to tenderly care for those who are grieving today and bless those who are in distress. And now, God, as we enter into a time of thinking honestly about forgiveness and particularly about families and forgiveness. We pray that you'll help us to have listening ears and open hearts. Be honored in all that we share and all that we do and think about today. Through the name and the power of Jesus Christ, we pray together. Amen. Neuroscientists tell us that the part of the brain that is stimulated when there is a physical injury is the same part of the brain that is stimulated when there is an emotional hurt, such as being excluded or left out or insulted or disrespected. In other words, the brain's response is the same whether the hurt is physical or mental-emotional. The brain just knows hurt in the same part of the brain, and hurt is a good word to describe What happens to us when we're offended or we're disrespected or we're not taken seriously or we're wounded by the words or the deeds of others? And this morning, uh, we are thinking together about uh, the whole business of family and forgiveness. And family can be a source of great blessing, great fulfillment. But family can also be the source of great hurt and great pain. And so... We're trying to think together, honestly, 
about that kind of hurt and to see if Scripture has any guidance, any help, any instruction, any light to shine on this difficult topic. I want to remind you of a story from Scripture that uh, some of us know pretty well. It's a story about Joseph. Um, he was uh, the next to the youngest of a very large family, and he was daddy's favorite. He was daddy's favorite, and daddy made him a special coat, and a lot of us know about that special coat. And the older brothers got really sick of Joseph this and Joseph that, and yeah, 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 and, and all of dad's favoritism, and, and their animosity grew from a jealousy of Joseph to a, uh, a, a strong hatred of Joseph to the point that one day when uh, he was out in the field, they decided to do something about it. Joseph, by the way, didn't help things any because he sort of, he sort of rubbed it in uh, their faces that they were not the favorite and he would tell them about dreams he had. You know, I had this funny dream that someday I was going to be in authority over you guys. Isn't that funny? And yeah, they thought real funny. So this day in the field, they decided they'd take care of things. And first they were going to kill him. They threw him into a pit. They were going to leave him there. And then they decided a better plan was to sell him uh, to a traveling caravan. Then they took that coat, that coat that they didn't like, and they soaked it in animal blood, and they brought it back to Dad Jacob, and they said, Oh, Daddy, look, a wild animal destroyed your son Joseph. He's, he's been killed. And Jacob wept and grieved and grieved for years, believing the lie that his son Joseph was dead. And I want you to notice how this Bible story is filled with deception. It's filled with secrets. Because all of those brothers kept that secret all through the years. And it's a, a story of betrayal. And I don't know about your family, but I'm guessing that if your family is normal... Somewhere in the immediate family or the extended family, there are deceptions and there are secrets and there are betrayals that leave some pretty deep wounds. Well, fast forward a while, and Joseph kept experiencing injustice. I mean, Joseph just uh, had one thing after another go wrong and people uh, shorting him in life's fairness balance. And yet somehow God was with him. And he kept recovering. And pretty soon, he was in charge of all of the food management for Egypt. And especially so during a severe famine, not only in Egypt, but in all of the neighboring region. And wouldn't you know that Joseph's ten older brothers would be dispatched by aging Jacob to go down into Egypt and try to find some food. And so here they are in the presence of their brother Joseph, but they don't know he's Joseph, but he recognizes them. And I think it's interesting that at first he's very angry. In fact, he accuses them of being spies and he throws them in prison for three days. Just to let you know that the Bible is honest and that real people have real emotions, it was sort of like, see how you like that. Or it was him processing his own anger, his own grief, we don't know. But then he thought better of that. And then he, he framed them in such a way that it almost cost them the, the life and the safety of their baby brother, Benjamin. And finally, 
after all of those ruses, Joseph could stand it no longer. And uh, that's where we pick up the story for this morning's scripture reading. And you may remain seated while I read this from Genesis 45, beginning in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. That may be the understatement of the entire Old Testament. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are five years more uh, in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are more than five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. What an amazing, dramatic scene of reconciliation. But I find it interesting that Joseph did not forgive all at once. There was some anger or some grief or some stuff there that he had to work through. At first, when he saw the brothers, it triggered a great deal of, of emotion in him. He locked them up for three days, processing his own pain. You know, the experts tell us that sometimes we try to forgive too quickly. Now, that may sound strange coming from a preacher on Sunday morning, but sometimes we say, I forgive you, and we don't really mean it. It's like pasting over or covering over the wound. You know, medical doctors tell us that sometimes a wound has to be left open to heal from the inside out. That if you cover it over too quickly, it will prevent the healing that needs to happen naturally. And sometimes forgiving someone takes a long time. It takes grieving and depression and all of the stages of loss. And it takes us time to, to bounce back. And we have to be honest about that. And while thinking about that, it occurred to me that somewhere in this sermon series, we needed to talk about 
what is not forgiveness. It, there are myths and ideas out there about what forgiveness is, but I want to share with you about four things that are not forgiveness. Uh, I don't know what happened to the first one. It, it, uh, it didn't have its vitamins, I guess. Uh, forgiveness is, is not, what does that say? Denying our feelings. Forgiveness is not denying our feelings. Sometimes we think that to forgive someone, I have to stuff my anger. I have to stuff my hurt. I have to stuff my grief. But we, we're not supposed to stuff any of that. We are entitled to feel what we feel. And forgiveness is not denying our feelings. Forgiveness, secondly, is not understanding why this happened. You know, sometimes we think, if I could just understand why you did this to me, if I could just understand what made you uh, say that, when in reality, we'll never understand. And even if we understood, it probably wouldn't really fix us. So forgiveness is not understanding why it happened. Forgiveness is not forgetting about it. You've heard the, the saying, forgive and forget. Well... We're human. God can forget, but we really can't because the more we try to remember to forget, the more we remember. And so forgetting is not the same as forgiving. And the fourth thing, forgiveness is not returning to the old relationship. If there's been a major breach, a major hurt, you may have a relationship with the person who wounded you, but it won't be the same as it was. Joseph had a new relationship with his brothers when they reconciled, but it wasn't like the old relationship. It was a new relationship, and they all had to acknowledge that things had changed. So some things to remember about what forgiveness is not, so that we don't try to forgive too quickly, that we own our feelings. Now, having said that, I'm going to talk out of the other side of my mouth. While it's true that sometimes we try to forgive too quickly, I would say as a pastor and as a counselor, many more problems are caused in life by us holding on to the grudge too long. We don't work through these stages, and we hang on to it. And, and, and notice the language, uh, the figurative language we use when we talk about a grudge. We talk about holding on to a grudge. You ever thought about that language and how picturesque it is? Because if you're holding on to a grudge, then your hands aren't free to pray. If you're holding on to a grudge, your hands aren't free to hug. And your hands aren't free to serve and to heal. And your hands aren't free to beckon and to wave hello and invite people in. When we're holding a grudge, we can't do a lot of other things. Think about a grudge like a long chain and a 50-pound iron ball. And imagine carrying that 50-pound iron ball everywhere you go. That's the grudge. You come to church, you say to the greeter, thanks for the bulletin, I need a seat for me and my grudge. You have communion service, you've got to leave room for your grudge. You go to a Sunday school class, small group, you've got to drag your grudge. You go to the wedding altar, you enter into a romantic relationship with someone, there's the grudge. You interview for jobs, you try to be active in a church, everywhere you go there's a grudge. You start introducing people. Have you met my grudge? I'd like to tell you about my grudge. Here's my grudge. And pretty soon it just becomes so literally and figuratively weighty and so disgustingly all-consuming. And it just eats us up. And what happens is 
the person who hurt us still has control of us if we won't forgive. That person who hurt us is still in control if we're carrying that ball and chain around. And what's more, if we're holding on to a grudge, we are living in the past. And think how many right nows we miss. How many right nows do we miss because we're living in the past? I love a line by Lily Tomlin, the comedian. Uh, She said, forgiveness means giving up all hope of a better past. It's a little early yet. 1045, we'll get that, you know. Uh, I think that's a great line, you know, because we're stuck in the past. And it's really sad. You know what I think? Here's what I think about Joseph. Just a theory. Can't prove it. I think all the years after he was sold like a slave by his brothers and betrayed... I think all those years he had a lot of time to think about how he had contributed to the family problems. The arrogance, the the sense of privilege, uh, and I think he had a lot of time to work through that stuff. I also think that all, and I know this part, all through those intervening years, Joseph experienced enormous favor and grace from God. And Joseph learned more about God's forgiveness because in in the 39th chapter of of Genesis, I think it's verse 12, Scripture says, Joseph experienced the steadfast love of God. That's that chesed covenant love of God, that stubborn love of God. And I think when Joseph finally met his brothers, he said, you know, I don't want to just receive God's grace and forgiveness. I don't want to just be a bystander watching God's grace and forgiveness go by and wave at it. I want to participate in God's grace and forgiveness. I want to wade into God's grace and forgiveness and not only experience it for myself, I want to see what it feels like to forgive my brothers. I want to participate in God's grace in a way that would bless me and bless others. And I think it was powerful for him as he experienced that forgiveness. Many years ago when I pastored in another community, a young couple uh, was getting ready to have their first baby. They were excited. And then she started developing complications a few weeks uh, before delivery date. And uh, she experienced toxemia, uh, high blood pressure, all, all kinds of complications. And, and the baby was born prematurely, but the baby was born weighing seven pounds plus. And the, the dad so proudly explained to me later, he said, you know, the doctor said that the pressure and the stress actually accelerated our baby boy's development. That the baby boy was pushing against that pressure and that stress, and it actually, pardon the graphic language, helped him cook faster, you know. And he was born healthy and strong because of the stress. Now, when we are wounded by another person, the stress and pressure are not fair. But you see from the Joseph experience, he's able to finally say, God intended it for good. I was able to take that stress and pressure and push against it, and I was able to experience something I would not have experienced otherwise. And to put it bluntly, until we learn to forgive, there's a part of us 
that just never grows up. Until we learn to forgive, there are part of us, there are parts of us that just never mature spiritually and emotionally. And that's the, that's the place, that's, that's the point of, of contact as the grace of God works in our lives. Now, I said earlier that forgiveness is not the same as forgiving. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. So let's think for a few moments about how we know we finally arrived at forgiveness. And uh, I think we finally, and using Joseph as a model, we finally know we've arrived at forgiveness when we stop brooding over it. We stop sulking and we stop feeding off of it. We stop talking about it to others, ruminating on it, belching it up to chew on some more. We know we've achieved forgiveness when we stop using that hurt as a weapon or as leverage against that person. And finally, we know we've forgiven when we stop letting that hurt define us or define the new relationship with that person. No matter how badly you have been hurt in life, that hurt is not all there is about you. There is more to you than that hurt. Do not ever let those injustices define you in Christ. And don't let them define the new relationship that comes out of that reconciliation. I'm going to give you a moment to just sort of reflect on those. Think about those. And sort of uh, lay those over some situation in your life or your family. And how the grace of God might be beckoning you this morning. In this season of Lent, we can never get away from the cross, and we never should. Our Lord Jesus came to heal and love, to help and bless, to show us God. He did nothing but good, but he challenged the selfish, self-absorbed religious system of his day and the proud, arrogant government of his day. And for that, he was nailed to a cross. He died for our sins. And before he died, he was hanging there and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, I just want to tell you, it's not in us to forgive other people the way we should. It is simply not in us. But Jesus Christ is in us. He is behind us, cleaning up our messes. He is in front of us, paving the way. He's around us, protecting. His resources, His energy, His life, His forgiveness. When we have a relationship with Him, we are able to experience His grace in such a way that we can participate in His grace. Not just watch it, not just receive it, but participate in it. And with His grace and strength, we can learn to forgive. Let's bow our heads together. God, we invite you to 
sort and sift and help us clean house this Lenten season. For Christ's sake, amen.